This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. everybody and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Jonas. This is episode 91 and today we're going to be focusing on day one of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 14 and this took place live from the Tokyo Dome on Saturday the 4th of January 2020 and uh, yeah we've got Kurt Johansson on the line who's going to be helping us cover day one of Wrestle Kingdom 14. So uh, good morning Kurt, how you doing buddy? Morning mate, yeah really good. Uh, We've just watched Wrestle Kingdom night two. Um, Really looking forward to like speaking about night one with you and yeah all going well and really happy to be back on wrestling with Jonas. yeah fantastic it's been a few months since we last had you on board i think w- your last appearance was our uh, anniversary edition wasn't it so yeah, i think that was correct. like se- episode 75 or six but uh, yeah that was a really good episode we had a an ask Jonas special there and uh, that was the first time that kurt's been on the pod and uh, this is his second time on the wrestling with Jonas podcast so great to have you back on board can't wait to hear your thoughts on wrestle kingdom 14 day one it's a hell of a day hell of a show like i say we just got done watching day two we're not going to let out any spoilers if possible about day two we'll try and keep that under wraps um but uh, day one was was an amazing amazing show uh but before we get into all the happenings from wrestle kingdom 14 day one uh, i just want to kind of urge all my listeners uh and any of Curtis fans or listeners to go and check out the new wrestling with Jonas website wrestlingwithjohners.com where you can find all of our social media links our archive to all of our podcasts our vlogs all of our interviews um and uh, daily uh, news updates from around the wrestling world and exclusive articles from my team of writers so go and check that out that's www.wrestlingwithjohners.com like so you can find all of our social media links at the top of the page so i don't need to read them out to you at the top of every episode anymore just go to the website and it's all there in one nice tidy package but uh, uh first of all uh kurt um before we get stuck into Wrestle Kingdom 14, like so it's been a, a couple of months since we last spoke to you, uh, but almost immediately after kind of hanging up the Skype call to you, uh, some big things happened, and uh, uh, you didn't let anything out on the podcast, or you may have alluded to it, but uh, you've got your own uh, podcast, Kurt's Angles, uh, out and about <laughs> now. So obviously you're part of the Ringsider podcast team, um, but uh, I think in the back of your mind you you had kind of uh, thoughts on setting up your own podcast and you delivered that uh, a couple of weeks after we spoke with Kurt's Angles and and, and your first episode was an amazing interview with uh, Thunder Rosa um, and uh, t- tell us a little bit about your new podcast Kurt's Angle and uh, your, your chat with Thunder Rosa then buddy. Uh, thank you John. Um, so to be fair it wasn't anything that I alluded to um, initially the plan I didn't have a plan to set up my own podcast to be honest I think it was after I'd spoken to you and um, a few days prior I'd been on um, Badlands with Mags and Paul and I just really enjoyed it and as much as I love like my ringsiders boys I was just thinking you know what I'm going to do something where I can do it at my own leisure when I'm at home 
something that's just mine and I can play around a little bit without potentially hindering the Ringsiders brand. Um, like I'm going to be trying some like new interesting concepts to shows and yeah it's been a name that's been put to me for quite a while I've had various different people saying that um, I should do my own show called Kurt's Angle and eventually I, I gave in I was like you know what it's happening so <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't anything I planned it was I think three or four days after speaking to you is when I'd announced it and it was all like a last minute thing. At the time, I had no experience um, graphic designing, so I'd got the fiance to create the initial Kets Angle logo. And in the past like three months, I've just been teaching myself how to um, design graphics, which I seem to be getting hand off pretty quickly and pulling out some decent stuff. And yeah, my first episode, I couldn't have debuted any better to be honest with uh, La Mira Mira Thunder Rosa we'd spoken about um, throughout her career how she got into the business her not she didn't really grow up as a fan to say we spoke about a time with Lucha Underground and um, women of wrestling her at the time recent debut in National Wrestling Alliance and her MMA debut in Combatters America so it was it was a really it was a really good chat. Um, she was just so humble and one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And I thought it was like a great platform for me to kick off the brand. It really was a hot start, definitely. And uh, where can my listeners find your podcasts? And uh, I know you're on YouTube as well as various uh, podcasting platforms. Um, uh, kind of on Spotify and all the usual platforms. I'm guessing, Kurt. Yeah, so Spotify, um, I imagine it'll be on iTunes. I'm using Anchor quite a lot. But one of the things I've been doing is YouTube. I'm trying to get some more video content or to put a background to the audio. I might be making some like graphics and things like that. So yeah. you can find me on our new website at ringsiders.co.uk. We've got podcasts on there. So it'll be the Umbrella podcast with Ringsiders. Then there's myself uh, with Kurt Sangle. And then Jamie and Callum have followed suit. So Jamie's now doing Bell to Bell. Uh, his last name is Bell. So again, another um, another nice little yeah. podcast name there. <laughs> and then Callum's going to be doing a show based on NXT called Talking Takeover. And yeah, you can find me on YouTube. YouTube's probably my priority upload at the moment. I've just felt it's where I'm getting the best traffic. So just put Kurt's Angle podcast in YouTube and so far you'd be able to check out the first three episodes of Kurt's Angle. Um, obviously a month ago, Thunder Rosa, the second one, I spoke to the Queen of NE. Uh, we did the story so far on Wednesday Night Wars, speaking about AW and NXT. And within, I think it was like the first nine weekly shows. And then my latest one was what I alluded to earlier with the um, trying different concepts that may not work. And this one's called Kurt's Angle, where I'm doing one more match. So I'll speak to guests. I'll tell them to think of a female, a male and a tag team. And they've got to say like where their match will be, who will it be against. And I try and get some, I try and get the thinking brains going to give me some insight why they'd want that match to happen. 
and that the first episode included the Queen of NE, Jamie and Callum from Ringsiders, and NXT UK superstar Travis Banks. Yeah, so uh, just skipping ahead a little bit there, and then shout out to the Queen of NE. Uh, had uh, her on the uh, podcast for the SummerSlam uh, Survivor Series review a couple of months ago. Uh, but um, Travis Banks, now, not long after speaking to us on the anniversary edition of uh, the Wrestling with Jonas podcast, uh, you went to the NXT UK tapings in Hull, and uh, you, you were involved in the WWE press events which I think is a first for you uh, where yep. you were able to interview uh, Travis Banks but I understand you was also interviewed by um, the son of Big Daddy Earl Crabtree for a, a BBC <laughs> show that's going to be uh, coming out later on this year so tell us about uh, being invited how you managed to get yourself into a WWE press event and how that went uh, you obviously had a chat with uh, Travis Banks and then the BBC thing with Earl uh, Crabtree um, so the Travis Banks thing, it came up about three, four days before the event. Um, initially my first episode, like my, I was supposed to have the queen on and I had to push that back because I needed to do this Travis Banks interview and we'd reached out to the WWE press event. We gave them our socials. They could see our huge Twitter following. And, um, after speaking to like Callum, who had been great at being contacting with the press office, he was like, look, I'll be there, but I want you to deliver it. Um, I think you'll be the best person to do the interview. Like, without much mm. preparation or with quick thinking, I am quite quite good at that. He he always, he always sat in on an uh, interview I did with Chris Ridgway. Unfortunately, the audio was damaged for that eventually. But and he really enjoyed that. So, yeah, um, the shows were Friday and a Saturday. The press interview was Saturday morning. I think it was probably the only time I've ironed a shirt that year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really good. I was I was quite nervous, and I think that's a good thing. If you're not nervous, you don't care enough. And exactly. Yeah. Being a lifelong WWE fan, and I think I even put it on my personal social media on Facebook about like what that weekend was for me because. A lot of people may not understand. If they don't get wrestling, they don't understand why I'm doing a podcast. They don't understand any of it. And then from what they thought was a hobby and like potentially a waste of time, it's made me do my first interaction with WWE on an official basis, which was just an incredible experience. And a bit of a dream come true, I'm sure. Yeah, and hopefully it's just a start of things to come. Hopefully yeah. I can get involved with more. Uh, press interviews with WWE and other companies were constantly working on trying to make our brand better, bigger. And yeah, the Earl Crabtree one was, it was quite surreal. It was on the Friday. And again, I didn't know this was happening until five seconds before it happened. So it wasn't something I could prepare for. We were just in the lobby um, and we saw Earl Crabtree. So we'd gone over and was just speaking to him and things like that. And then a TV crew came up and was like, oh, um, can we can we interview you guys for, um, it's called Inside Out. Yeah. Um, it, here in the UK, it's across all the BBC channels and it's for Inside Out in uh, Yorkshire and Lincolnshire. And was like, yeah, sure. So it led to um, just getting asked various different questions and I believe I was speaking about like why the British wrestling scene's so big now and that 
basically because something that was so unattainable has become attainable and achievable for so many people and it's pushing people to be better and work harder essentially and yeah it came across really well um i'd spoken to earl afterwards and he, he ended up following me on my social media so i guess i can't have done too bad of a job and i believe that's supposed to be airing in february when they're covering the local wrestling where it will be about nxc uk in hull and yeah it'll be interesting what gets used on on that show amazing absolutely amazing a great story and like i say just by chance uh like i say you got uh, pulled into an interview uh that's going to air across bbc and uh yeah like i say working at a wwe press event um it's simply uh, an amazing kind of series of events all in one night but um congratulations on on setting up your new podcast and uh, wish you all the best of luck with that and the really ah, excited of and I've, I've got jamie and uh, callum on the rest of the podcast in the coming weeks uh, helping me to cover all the the latest stuff with AEW and nxt so i'm looking forward to speaking to them but uh, today we're here to speak about wrestle kingdom then kurt so i know that you're a, a big uh, new japan pro wrestling fan yeah. Uh, admittedly i i dip in and out uh, occasionally i definitely watch all the big shows uh definitely watch all the wrestle kingdoms um but uh, looking forward to covering day one with you so i mean it's the single biggest show of the year outside of wrestlemania uh with with matches that will blow any other company's matches out of the water to be honest with you i, I don't think uh there's been a wrestlemania that can quite live up to uh the, the caliber of what new japan can pump out on some of their big shows um but uh, in a first for wrestle kingdom it's going to be spread over two days. So you obviously had day one on the 4th of uh, Jan, day two today, which took place uh, literally minutes ago, Sunday the 5th of Jan from the Tokyo Dome. And uh, yeah, uh, wh- what were your thoughts when the news came out that it was going to be spread over two days then, Kurt? Because we, we've traditionally seen it, like I say, the first week or the first weekend of every new year for the last 13 years um, or on one day. And it's normally a big four or five hour extravaganza, fantastic matches, uh, so much talent. Um, and and to, to have the same show over two days, uh, what were your thoughts when that was first announced? Um, I was in the middle, to be honest. Like, I was thinking, does it really need to be two days? Like, are they going to have enough matches to fill two shows without having filler matches? And... Then they announced this double champion thing that they was doing. And I was like, okay, this will work. Yeah. Because you're going to have the contenders fight on the first one and then the, essentially the final um, in the main event of night two. And I was... So I, I like that, but I don't know how it would work continuing in the future. Like, could it decrease the quality of one show? I think it does. I think it makes Wrestle Kingdom from start to finish would never have a piss break match or mm. anything like that. The quality is stacked like from start to finish and the quality is still there and there's some absolutely fantastic matches. And I'm sure it's something we'll get into shortly and we spoke yeah. about previously. These like eight man tag matches that we had at the start of night one. When I've had three hours sleep and I've just woken up, that stuff's going to put me back to sleep. It it kind of took it away from me, those first, like, well, the second and third match I don't think needed to be on the show. But it's great for Japanese wrestling. I've seen all over social media, all the different companies like Noah, um, you've got DDT, 
Big Japan Pro, Toshi Joe Pro, Stardom, um, they're all been benefiting from this being across two days. A lot of them have been running um, in Cork and Hall. So in for Japanese wrestling as a whole, I think it's a great thing and it'd be I think it might draw more travelling fans with it being a weekend because they're not just going for that one day. It's, it's more two... of an event. Yeah, it'd be like a WrestleMania weekend essentially yeah. for Japan. Definitely, yeah. And, and, and good for business for New Japan because I think they sold out the Dome on night one with over 40,000 uh, spectators. And they did similar business on night two with about 30,000 plus spectators for night two. So 70,000 New Japan fans watching Wrestle Kingdom over the course of two nights. Uh, I'd say it must be good business for, for New Japan. But, uh, but you know, I, I thought that the two shows combined were very very solid to be honest with you and there was there was there was some very very good highlights and one or two kind of minor nitpicky lowlights that we'll talk about but uh, you know there's so many good matches especially you know with the current IWGP uh, champion Kazuchika Okada defended his title on night one against uh, the G1 Climax when Kota Ibushi which is uh, going to be one of the highlights of night one that we're going to talk about uh, the winner of that match will go on to face the winner of Jay White the Intercontinental Champion versus Naito in the, uh, the double gold dash on night two the main event of night two to see who will walk out with uh, with all the gold um, and it will be the first ever double champion in new japan's history i understand uh one of the other highlights um some might see not see this as a highlight but it's also the final two matches um in the retirement of jushin thunder Liger, who's had a 30 year plus career and uh, it'll be no doubt very emotional for everybody you know on both nights whether they be in the ring with them in the arena fans watching around the world people backstage a very very emotional night i mean you've probably seen a fair few uh jushin thunder Liger matches on the tv and possibly one or two as a fan i know he's he's been a regular coming over here uh to, to wrestle for independent promotions around the UK in the past uh, but what was what, what's your kind of thoughts and what's going to be your lasting memory of, of Jushin Thunder Liger uh, the man that you know anyway I think it has to be said he's the greatest junior heavyweight wrestler of all time I think the only person that comes close is Rey Mysterio Jr but yeah, yeah. I think Jushin changed the business when he came over into WCW as part of that he he transcended the the sport, um, essentially, and it was always great seeing him come over to the UK because essentially it's somebody that I shouldn't get to see live. And whenever Liger was on a show, I'd try and get to it if it's like three, four hours travel or something down to London. Yeah. I'd I'd do it. And I remember one of the Global War shows. I think it might be like 2015, 2016. He was wrestling on there one night. He was wrestling in Will Osprey. And so I got to get a picture with like the legendary Thunder Liger, which is always surreal in itself. And yeah, I think there's not much more I can say is is when you talk about the greatest of all time, especially in the junior division, Liger's in that discussion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Totally agree. And it's one of my big regrets as a wrestling fan that I never got a chance to see him wrestle live. Um, But uh, there's tons and tons of archive footage of of, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, whether it's on New Japan World or on YouTube or uh, wherever. But um, he featured in the very first match. So I think that a lot of people were quite surprised to see him um, open the show. But that they do say the old adage is if you don't close the show, it's best to open it and kind of um, get the the show off with a bang. And they certainly did get it off with a bang. It was an eight man tag. 
And it was featuring kind of legends and uh, past opponents, past uh, foes and past uh, partners uh, that are featured in Jushin Thunder Liger matches over the last 30 years. And... Uh, the, the the first match um now i might need a bit of help with one or two of these names kurt but you had uh, <laughs> uh Aneko sano who's uh, uh a long-time rival of uh, jushin thunder like shinjiro otani who i do remember uh from the early 90s uh, having some classic battles with uh, jushin thunder Liger in uh, the best of the super junior tournaments uh tatsuhito uh, takawa takawa i think that's right and uh, yeah. uh and Taguchi, um, and they were cornered by uh, uh, Kobayashi, who was um, originally going to be part of the match, but I think he decided that it'd be better off if he was uh, a corner man. And then in Jushin Thunder Liger's team, you obviously had uh, Liger along with uh, Tiger Mask. Now, I'm not sure what uh, version of Tiger Mask uh, this is, but uh, and then you had the great uh, Suzuki or Suzuki and uh, Tatsumi Fujinami. And uh, Fujinami also had his battles in the US uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. And I remember that match that he had uh, with uh, Ric Flair on one of the WCW pay-per-views from about 91. And they were cornered by El Samurai. Um, so uh, you got what 10 legends here uh, around the ring eight in the ring two corner men now this match featured as i mentioned uh, various partners and opponents of the legendary jushin thunder liger throughout his career um, and as you can imagine liger received a thunderous ovation a massive pop from the 40,000 people in the tokyo dome when he made his entrance uh, none of these veterans missed a beat though um, and it brought back so many great memories of watching these eight men fly around the ring as if it was the 1990s all over again However, the end of the match uh, ended in quite shocking fashion, to be honest with you, or, or maybe not, to be honest with you. Jushin Thunder Liger taking the pin uh, thanks to a, a Tiger face buster uh, from uh, Taguchi. And uh, you, you could say that, you know, Liger was uh, kind of taking the pinfall as a, as a sign of respect to his opponents. Um, but he did lose here in the opening match or the first of two retirement matches for Liger. Uh, there was a huge amount of respect for Jushin Thunder Liger after the match with all of Liger's teammates and opponents and bowing and shaking hands with Liger after the match. What were your thoughts on this opener to uh, Wrestle Kingdom 14 then, Kurt? To be honest, I enjoyed it. I think it needed to be on first because none of these matches of Liger's were going to be in-ring stealing the show. So I think opening up won't have it compared to anything else. And people would just be able to enjoy it for what it is. And yeah, I was I really, really liked it. Um, seeing all these different legends, like there's such nostalgia, but like you uh, you said earlier, they can they could still go. Because yeah. a lot of these are still wrestling, whether it's in like Zero One or um, other places in Japan. And like Fujinami, like seeing the dragon in the ring again was fantastic like like I said the innovators of the sport they've they're the reason why we know wrestling how it is today and I thought it was a nice touch that on each of their entrance videos it was showing different stuff of their involvement with Justin Thunder Liger as well that was great it really was great and uh, uh, I'd say so much respect paid towards uh, Jushin Thunder Liger um, was you surprised that he, he took the pinfall loss no, um, I think there's so much respect and honour for Liger that I think he was always going to go out on his back and give the win to... And with Taguchi getting the win, he's the only one that's still wrestling in New Japan. And I think it's... it's the, I, I guess it's the right decision. Yes, it would have been nice to see Liger get the win, but 
again, it would do nothing for Taguchi. So, yeah, doing the honourable thing on the way out. Yeah. But uh, uh, then we went into uh, another eight man tag. Um, and the first team was uh, featuring Sonada, Evil, uh, Shinjo, Shingo Takagi and uh, Bushi versus uh, Suzuki Gun featuring Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki, uh, Tachi and El Desperado. So th- this was match. It was a pretty full on match. It was quite an enjoyable match. But uh, Sabre Jr. and Sonada uh, mixed up in a bit of a preview to their match for the British heavyweight title, uh, which was going to be featured on night two of Wrestle Kingdom with Sabre Jr. nearly getting the pinfall victory uh, thanks to a roll up fairly early on. The the match uh, didn't go too much longer, though, Kurt, with uh, Sack Sabre Jr. He made Bushi submit with a, a devastating Uma Plata. Um, and even after the match, uh, ZSJ kept the hold on until Sonata came in with some stiff kicks to break up the hold and uh, kind of making us anticipate their match for the British Heavyweight Championship even more on night two. But uh, this match was kind of more of a setup for night two, in my opinion. But uh, what did you think of this one, then, Kurt? I think he said it all there, to be honest. I think it was just a setup. It didn't really do much for me, to be honest. I think everybody already had that anticipation for ZSJ and Sonata yeah. uh, for night two. And it was quite yeah. a short match as well. It, it didn't go too long. I think it was well under 10 minutes. Yeah, and like I said earlier, with it being two shows, it makes the quality of the shows, I won't say lacking, but it's not built like match to match like five star matches yeah but i think it was a case of with it being split it was easy to digest yeah i'd agree i with that. think yeah um but yeah it was it was good zsj getting the win over bushi and showing his heel tactics and stuff but again i could have done all i could have done without the match and i wouldn't have been complaining if i hadn't have had it to say yeah it was, it was more of a, a filler match, to be honest with you. And like I say, it helped to set up Sonada and uh, Zach Sabre Jr.'s match for the British Heavyweight Championship for night two uh, more than uh, doing anything for the actual eight-man tag match itself. Speaking of eight-man tags, we get our third eight-man tag uh, of the night. And this uh, time featuring uh, uh, the, the foursome from Chaos. You had Goto, you had Ishii, uh, Yano and uh, Yoshihashi versus the Bullet Club. Uh, Kenta, Bad Luck Valet, uh, Takahashi and Chase Owens. So we, we, essentially we get another preview of a match that's going to be taking place on night two with, with Kenta being on the opposite side to Goto. Um, and of course, they're going to be going head to head with uh, uh, with Kenta's never open weight championship on the line in night two. Uh, Takahashi gets a close near fall in this one from a brain buster before Bad Luck Fale gets uh, a suplexed by Goto before Goto hits uh, Takahashi with his GTR for the one, two, three and the win for his team. So this match was probably, you know, about the same as the first match, really. It was a lot of fun. Uh, everyone got their moves in, uh, but like I say, very similar to the previous eight man tag. This was very much a, a match that was setting up the Never Open Weight Championship match for night yeah. two between Kenta and go to any thoughts on this eight man tag before we move on to some of the championship matches. I preferred it. Um, yeah. In the notes that I put down when I was watching, I'd, I felt it built more anticipation for Goto and Kenta than the previous did for ZSJ and Sonata. I think it was always, you had that anticipation of when them two lock horns in that match. And then when they did, it was just a taste of what's to come in night two. So yeah, um, again, a typical eight man that you see on the road twos from New Japan, but 
I think this one built the anticipation better than the previous match. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. But like I say, those two eight-man tags, uh, they probably wouldn't have been missed if they weren't on the card, but they were there to serve a purpose. Uh, but then the card seemed to pick up quite a bit, and I really enjoyed the next match, and it was for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships uh, between the Grillers of Destiny, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, who were the, uh, the current champions going into the match, uh, going up against uh, Finn Juice, David Finley and Juice Robinson, and they are the current World Tag League champions. So this match started on the rampway as, uh, as Robinson and Finley met the current champions during the entrance, with Robinson almost regretting his actions immediately after getting backdropped quite heavily on the hard rampway. David Finley uh, was disposed off uh, off the side of the ramp. G.O.D. hit their magic killer on Finley with Robinson breaking up the pinfall attempt. Uh, G.O.D. then attempted a super power bomb from the top, but Finley managed to transition this move into a Hurricane Rana. Uh, Juice Robinson hits his uh, Pulp Fiction uh, on Tangaloa, allowing David Finley to drop Tangaloa uh, with Tamatonga with his sliced bread for the pinfall victory. And the World Tag League champions now become the IWGP heavyweight tag team champions of the world so this was this was a step up this was a really good match uh, the fans were really into the action there's plenty of drama it's really good tag team action in this one with uh, Finn Juice fighting back to overcome the odds against one of the, the, the biggest and best names in New Japan tag history. Um, and uh, the, the, we have new heavyweight tag team champions in New Japan. So uh, a really good match. Juice Robinson, David Finley, the new tag team champions. Um, Juice Robinson did seem to kind of suffer with a bit of a back injury. I think that was probably uh, from the kind of opening segment of moves where he got backdropped on the rampway, which looked uh, really painful. Um, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed this one what about yourself Kurt yeah it was it was really good it was something different like you said G.O.D. are one of the best IWGP world tag team champions of all time <laughs> and New Japan's tag division is just non-existent at the moment if I'm being honest like the only thing that you have is let's have G.O.D. against Evil and Sonata or uh, it's like recycled tag matches. So having this was something fresh. I think it was something that New Japan had in mind for a while because if you remember, Deuce Robinson and David Finley was originally both supposed to be in Lifeblood over in Ring of Honor. Right. Um, yeah. And it's good to see that, although that didn't work out um, for numerous reasons, which we won't get into, at least it's, it's something fresh. And I think it's great for... David Finlay, like this is his first like big opportunity, I think, with uh, Juice as his partner, and it'll be interesting to see what God do next. I imagine there'll be a rematch eventually, but hopefully uh, Finn Juice can keep it on them for a while, and whilst they've got the titles, maybe build more tag teams up rather than just feeding them to God. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And then the commentary team mentioned that uh, Juice Robinson could himself be a double champion after night two as he will be taking on the winner of the next match, Lance Archer versus John Moxley for Archer's IWGP United States Championship. And uh, both of them matches, so the one that's about to uh, come up, Lance Archer versus John Moxley and Robinson versus the winner um, will no doubt be fantastic matches. But uh, let, let's get into Lance Archer versus uh, John Moxley. So Moxley... Still uh, picking up the dates with New Japan, despite the fact he signed with AEW. Now, I know you put out a post on the uh, ringsider.co.uk website yesterday asking the kind of the question, um, 
post-match whether there could be you know a, a possible relationship between AEW and New Japan without giving away kind of the, the end to this match kind of give us a bit more insight into your thoughts there Kurt because uh, obviously you know and then in night two you've got Jericho the current AEW world champion and uh, uh, that's um, uh, mystical portal that he describes as possibly being opened if he were to lose his match, um, leaving the AEW world title open to a, a New Japan competitor. So, you know, th- there could be something there, but uh, give us your thoughts on AEW New Japan, whether there could be a working relationship there, if not now, sometime in the future. I think it's building trust again, obviously. I think especially Kenny leaving her at New Japan. Um, did, yeah. Not just yeah. a product, but I think a lot of people that have been hurt personally. Um yeah, I asked the question because obviously Moxley's gone back out there to challenge for the United States Championship and at the time, not knowing what happens um, in night two or anything like that, I was like, well, if Moxley picks up the win, their United States Champion is contracted to AEW and because of that, Moxley cannot work any American dates for New Japan. And in 2020... It's been announced what well, New Japan are expanding. They're wanting to open like the American branch, essentially. Yeah. How do you do that when your US champion can't work for you because he's yeah, working for another company? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was kind of the way I'm going with like if if they're gonna put the trust in Moxley to hold the title or um or if they're not. Is, is this going to be the baby steps? And like you mentioned with Jericho, like AEW title shot on the line um, if Tanahashi beats him. Is this all just testing the waters without making anything official, seeing if they can play nicely together before becoming in a friendship? Yeah, like, yeah I think that could be it. But uh, like I say, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think anything's uh, been uh, signed on the dotted line yet. But uh, yeah, just testing the waters. And I think, that trust probably will build again, especially with their, you know, having Moxley on AEW and New Japan cards and the same with Jericho. I think that trust has to rebuild. And I think that those two individuals will help rebuild the trust between uh, you know, AEW and uh, New Japan, regardless of what's happened in the past. But uh, I think it, it makes sense for both companies, to be honest with you. And, and like I say, with New Japan doing more work over in the States through 2020 and beyond, it makes sense to kind of have a, a have a, a relationship between a company that has some of its stars working for it. But uh, let's get stuck into Archer versus Moxie then. So going into this match, Kurt, what was your kind of expectations? What were your thoughts? I know that you've spoken to Lance Archer in a, a Wrestle Thoughts pod interview back last year. He's a big guy going up against John Moxley. He's got a reputation as being a, a, a tough, badass uh, wrestler. And, of course, he's um, the number one contender for the AEW World Championship as well. Um, but um, John Moxley never actually lost the United States champion in uh, New Japan. Um, it got vacated. And, of course, Lance Archer went up against Juice Robinson uh, to win the title a couple of months back. But uh, what were your thoughts going into this one, buddy? It was one of the matches I was most excited for, to be honest. Like you mentioned with Wrestle Thoughts, like... Um, that will be getting re-released as like a ringside's vault yeah. and what we're going to be working on but in that one it was just fresh out of his G1 and was like right what's next because at that point and he still isn't despite being the US champion going into Wrestle Kingdom he isn't under a contract with New Japan so if Impact Wrestling, NWA 
um, WWE or AEW came knocking, they could lose Archer, which mm. baffles me, especially after the G1. After that G1, surely you just secure him down. Um, and I was speaking like, what's next? Um, maybe a singles run, because we are speaking about him reinventing himself, wanting to get out of a, the image of being a tag team wrestler. And at that time, Moxley was the United States champion. I was like, how about it? Maybe at a Wrestle Kingdom, you, Moxley, um, United States champion. And he, he mentioned he'd love to get in the ring with Moxley and that they'd be able to cause some damage with each other. And then Moxley, obviously got stripped, it was like, uh, maybe Moxley's done in New Japan now, and then out of nowhere, he's returning, he's like, right, actually, you've got my belt, I want that, and the match that we discussed is kind of, is happening, but in the roles reversed, Archer going in there as champion, and Moxley being the person fighting for it, and with the addition of a Texas death match, like, it was, it was everything for both of them to showcase, like, what they can do, and Again, Lance Archer just came out looking like a megastar and New Japan need to lock him up before they're losing. Yeah, they really do. Um, but he looks like a, an absolute beast in this match. And uh, John Moxley, just whenever you see him on the screen post WWE, just looks like a, a different guy, looks like a, an animal, uh, like he's ready for any type of fight. But this match goes to the outside pretty early with a suicide dive from Moxley. Archer throws a chair into the face of Moxie before utilising trash can lids and a couple of kendo stick shots. Uh, Archer then destroys Mox with a blackout through four chairs in the centre of the ring, but Mox manages to beat the ref, uh, ref's 10 count. Um, uh, Archer even pulls a plastic bag out to try to suffocate Moxley, uh, which uh, wasn't illegal in this match. Being a Texas death match, pretty much anything goes. Uh, Archer sets up two tables on the outside and attempts to put Moxley through um, w- w- with another blackout. Um, however, Mox fought his way out of the move to drive Archer through both tables with his, his paradigm shift DDT. Moxley managed to get to his feet uh, to beat the referee's 10 count just in the nick of time, and we have a new two time. United States champion after this brilliant but brutal Texas a Texas death match. Uh, Archer appeared to slice his arm open on that table spot, uh, but now we have Moxley versus Juice Robinson to settle their score uh, with the United States Championship on the line for night two. So give us your thoughts on the match. I, I loved it, and uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier that I thought this was possibly my favourite match of the night, certainly at this point anyway in the card, uh, but how about yourself? Yeah, at this point in the card, best match hands down, and it was it was great. Like I, I am really happy for Archer Moxley. I just love watching everything he does. It's like a complete different person, mm. and I really like that carrier bag bit. I thought that is brutal doing his iron claw, um, famous by the Von Erics, but with the plastic bag. I thought that was quite a good touch, and that was how never, I was like, never seen that before, Kurt. Never seen a plastic bag being utilized in that way. No, me neither. And I thought Moxley was done for at that point. I was like, actually, this is clever. You're using Archer's finisher with the addition of a plastic bag, and that's how you destroy Mo- like beat Moxley. That way, keep him strong. But no, uh, Moxley managed to get out of it. He even took the he had Archer's helmet, which had spikes going out, like yeah. hammered into the top of his face, which essentially made him bleed before the paradigm shift be- through the tables and. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It was a really good showing. Um, hopefully, again, hopefully Archer gets locked down, or if not, somebody else will lock him down. And yeah, Moxley two-time 
United States champion and, and he'll be facing Juice and can Juice become the double champ before whoever wins the IWGP and IC title? Yeah, precisely. And the other thing I loved about this uh, uh, this this Texas Death match was it's not your typical New Japan style match, to be honest with you. But the fans absolutely ate it up. They loved it. Um, and uh, like I say, I just loved uh, uh, seeing uh, John Moxley in a New Japan ring again, which was something we, we possibly thought we wouldn't see ever again. Uh, but that leads us nicely to the next championship match. Will Ospreay, the current IWGP junior heavyweight champion, going up against uh, Hiromu Takahashi. So uh, in this match, Ospreay uh, is going into Wrestle Kingdom and 2020 is the man with the most amount of five-star matches from 2019, according to the Wrestling Observer. I think he had five five-star matches under his belt from the last 12 months. Uh, Ospreay gets a close near fall uh, following a, a double foot stomp and a draping DDT on Takahashi. Ospreay attempts a uh, Sasuke special but misses, landed on his feet on the out side osprey then avoids a german suplex uh kind of landed on his feet almost in a backflip before diving or kind of running back into the ring uh, attempting a second sasuke special which he which he nails this time and that was a brilliant sequence of moves from osprey i mean just looking at that sequence of moves and what osprey did there it's already turned itself into uh kind of a, a viral meme um but uh osprey is just like no other wrestler on the earth at the moment wouldn't you agree with me there yeah in the uh ringsiders like yearly awards that we did i actually voted myself and i i'd put down will osprey for my wrestler of the year i think what he's done in 2019 has been absolutely incredible and the spot that you uh, mentioned one of the things i want to bring up is normally when people do these dives the wrestlers are just stood there waiting and never move out the way and you're like why wouldn't you move out the way and when osprey misses the first sasuke special it was with because Hiromu saw him coming and took a step back so that Osprey had missed the landing and then he could get him into the attempts for the German suplex. And I thought that was it's those little things that made that sequence so perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, the match didn't end there. Osprey uh, springboards himself from one side of the corner post to the other with a wicked double foot stomp uh, to the back of Takahashi's head. Uh, Takahashi nearly had the match won himself with an avalanche destroyer from the top. And again, he's a dynamite plunger. Uh, there's another close near fall from a, uh, an Osprey Oscutter. Uh, by this point, Osprey must have been wondering what he had to do to put uh, Hiromu uh, Takahashi away. The referee kind of pulls a three count uh, from a, a Takahashi time bomb. He kind of really delayed that three count, but uh, it, it, the, the fans were really biting on that one. Uh, Takahashi finally wins the match with a, with a new move, a spiked sidewalk bomb, which I think he's calling the time bomb two to become the new IWGP junior heavyweight champion in this incredible, incredible match. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of this one and uh, might well get Will Ospreay another five-star rating from uh, Mr. Dave Meltzer, but uh, gives your overall thoughts on this junior heavyweight championship match. It, yeah, it was it was incredible. and Part of me couldn't enjoy it to, if it was a different person than Hiromu. Like, I kept cringing anything that was to the back of the head or the neck. Obviously, Hiromu coming back from the broken neck injury and Osprey ended up doing the hidden blade, which seemed absolutely brutal. And I remember, like, cringing at that bit. But, yeah, the match itself was absolutely incredible. And Hiromu picks up the um, picks up the gold, is taking the IWP uh, 
junior heavyweight title back to Los Ingobernables de Japón. And I couldn't, I couldn't see anything else but a Hiromo win here. It was a great fairy tale ending for him, to, uh, fairy tale return for him. And yeah, Osprey may have his first five star match out of the year. <laughs> Most definitely, it's only the, the 4th of January. But uh, give, give me some, some extra kind of thoughts on, on Will Osprey because uh, he had an incredible 2019. You said yourself that you voted for him on your own kind of poll as wrestler of the year. And uh, he, he was definitely voted for by many people on the Wrestling Majona's end of year awards as well. But now that he's no longer the junior heavyweight champion, he, he's obviously uh, made it clear of his desires to possibly be taken seriously as, as a heavyweight and uh, possibly be looking as a contender for some of the heavyweight championships. What are your thoughts if he were to go up against, you know, an intercontinental champion, a, a US champion, or maybe a, a, an IWGP heavyweight champion? Do you think he's, he's ready? Do you think he's in that league yet? Yeah, well, he's proved it. Um, whether it was in the New Japan Cup or... Um, the New Japan uh, G1 Climax has proved that he can hang with the, let's say, big boys with them being heavyweights. And yeah. his, his stature is, is bigger than half the heavyweights anyways. And I think 2020 will be where everybody's asking, is Will Ospreay the best bout machine? Definitely. I think I think he's got it in him. And this year he was in so many different tournaments and I think if he takes a step back and think actually I'm leaving the junior division, I'm officially moving up to the heavyweight division and then that way he's focusing on their single tournaments it'll be interesting to see what sort of year he would have without burning himself out in so many tournaments because I believe Osprey had the um, most singles matches in New Japan, well the the most matches in New Japan and the like minutes spent in New Japan and all over the world. Absolutely ridiculous from Osprey. Yeah, and the, the one thing that I've really noticed from Osprey over the last couple of years, Kurt, is that he really seems to have matured as, as a character, as a performer, as an individual, but also on the microphone when he does his backstage stuff. Um, he, he really seems quite comfortable um, behind the microphone, whereas before, maybe going back three or four years, he probably wasn't as comfortable. And I think that's led to him being more of a, a, a more of a rounded character, which I think is thanks to New Japan, to be honest with you, uh, which is obviously a much more of a serious professional wrestling company. And uh, like I say, he, he has turned into the more all-round uh, total package, really, not just in the ring. And I think his, his ring style has changed as, as well, slightly where he's not taking as many risks and he, his risks are a bit more calculated and he's more of a, a rounded wrestler. But behind the microphone, as a character, um, I think he's, he's starting to nail that as well. Yeah, he's not trying to kill himself with every bump these days, which is good to see. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, the maturity. We've seen it in Zack Sabre Jr., somebody who always somewhat struggled delivering promos. And now I love his promo work in, um, in New Japan. And I think it's the same with Will. Like, he's matured and he's becoming an absolute megastar. Yeah, he really is. Speaking of megastars, we're into our semi-final match now for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. The champion going into it, Jay White, going up against uh, uh, Naito. Uh, can you pronounce Naito's first name, please, Kurt? Tetsuya Naito. 
thank you. <laughs> so th- th- this was the first match of the double gold dash uh, with, the, with the winner going on to main event day two, of course, to face either Okada or Ibushi for a chance to hold uh, the IWGP heavyweight and, of course, intercontinental titles. Uh, Jay White uh, applies a, a Muta lock early on with NATO managing to get to the ropes for a rope break. At one point, Jay White uh, drops Nato hard on the ring apron from a snap Sato suplex, and that looked really, really painful. Um, t- towards the end of the match, the referee gets knocked to the ground. Uh, this allows Gado uh, to come in to interfere. Jay White throws a chair hard into the face of Nato before connecting with a, a, a dragon suplex and a sleeper suplex. Uh, however, Nato somehow manages to uh, connect with a, a Destino, um, but um, he's too exhausted to make the cover. Nato hits two more Destinos to eventually get the three count to become the new IWGP Intercontinental Champion and this match uh, built and it built and it built and eventually gave us the incredible match uh, that we knew it would deliver and uh, NATO winning the Intercontinental Gold and going on to main event night two with the chance of uh, uh, being the double champion in the double gold dash. But uh, this was a really, really fun match. Uh, loved Jay White with his heel tactics, a little bit of interference from Gado on the outside, but uh, NATO kind of really fought and was a worthy winner. It was a great match. But uh, what were your thoughts on this IC title match? Yeah, I really liked it. Jay White has become a fantastic uh, professional wrestler since taking the Switchblade moniker. Um, but yeah, Tetsuya Naito, he's one of my favourite wrestlers in any company. Um, it's part of the reason why I started looking properly into Los Ingobernables de Japón. I'd seen him in Rev Pro and thought, ah, oh, you know what, I'm going to check out more New Japan. And I kept watching matches that Naito would be in, so all these um, like free, uh, these six-man tags, eight-man tags, and... I just fell in love with Los Ingobernables de Japón. They're, they're my faction. I know everybody loves Bullet Club, but LIJ is the one that I like. And with Naito, his story's been very, very telling, to be fair. Like, he's previously held the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. This win made him a five time Intercontinental Champion and one of the best of all time um, to be holding that belt. But the story is he's been, he's been in that top spot before yeah. and it didn't work out. It was as if the fans didn't like that he was in that, in that position, which obviously is never good. And now you've seen him a couple of years later and he's so matured and the fans are backing him and for him to be going into this double gold it's just another it's a great opportunity and i think he needed it and i'm so glad Naito won yeah definitely it was, it was a fantastic match um but uh yeah, and then speaking of fantastic matches, we go into our, our main event of night one, Wrestle Kingdom 14, uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, a part two of the uh, double, ga- double dash of gold, uh, where the winner will now face Naito in the main event of night two. So Ibushi was the first to make his entrance with his G1 Climax winning briefcase under his arm, uh, but the entrance of the night has to go to the Rainmaker. Um, it was... Uh, always is spectacular when Okada entrances, but when he does his, his Wrestle Kingdom entrances, they're always something special. I mean, he, he kind of there's an on-screen Okada, and he kind of fights a couple of uh, mystical beasts, and then there's this puff of smoke and 
Okada is there. Um, where he came from, nobody knows, but it's a fantastic entrance. But uh, uh, what were your thoughts and your expectations going into this one then, Kurt, about the match, the two individuals, the entrances? Uh, but what were your thoughts on this one going into it? It's... The match was mega, to be honest, and I think it's the first time where it put in doubt who's going to win. Obviously, New Japan never really pulled the plug with Kota Ibushi in the past because he was never under contract, and they was worried that if they book um, somebody into that position, then what happens if he's like, actually, I'm going? And the Okada is the best wrestler in the world. Yeah. Um, I know I said I voted for Will. I think Will had the better year, but in in that ring, Okada's untouchable. But then Kota Ibushi's untouchable in his own right in a different way. And they, I think them two are the ones that scream like megastars. Like I said, I love Naito. Um, if I was to relate it to like a WWE world, I'd say he's like a, a Rollins or a Bryan or somebody like that. Whereas... Okada is the Cena and yeah. Ibushi could be like the Reigns, like where he's also a megastar. Yeah. And this match was just it was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, well, let's go through some of the key stuff then. So the match started off quite methodically, uh, as you would expect, but we knew that the good stuff was on its way and it did not disappoint. Uh, Okada dropped Ibushi with a draping DDT from the railings uh, at ringside, and that looked really painful. Okada nails Ibushi again, this time drop kicking Ibushi uh, from off the top turnbuckle to the floor on the outside before nailing Ibushi with a huge crossbody over the railings and into the front row of the fans. Uh, Ibushi attempts a, a backflip kick uh, but lands horribly on his head. Uh, Ibushi, Ibushi briefly recovers to hit Okada with a, with a bastard driver. Uh, but afterwards, Ibushi just looked out of it. He looked dazed. He looked gone. Uh, Okada dropped Ibushi with a tombstone on the ring apron. Ibushi uh, just managed to beat the, the referee's 20 count there. Uh, there's a second tombstone back inside the ring, but uh, uh, Ibushi avoids Okada's Rainmaker to hit a Rainmaker of his own. Uh, there's a, a stiff striking exchange between these two. And, and by this point, we've been going nearly, two, or they've been going nearly 30 minutes uh, Abushi misses a Phoenix Splash. Okada connects with two Rainmakers, uh, but still only a two count from the referee. And the drama at this point was at full volume. Okada hits a third Rainmaker and a fourth. Uh, Ibushi manages to avoid a fifth Rainmaker, but Okada doesn't miss a beat and drops Ibushi with a packaged tombstone before deploying a final Rainmaker, folding Ibushi up for the eventual one, two, three. So I've got down here on my notes, wow, exclamation point, exclamation point. Okada retains the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It goes on to face uh, Tatsui uh, Naito for all the gold uh, for the double gold dash in the main event of night two and that match it built and it built and it gave us that epic conclusion um that you would expect from wrestle kingdom main events uh kurt you you said it was an epic match but uh just give us your final thoughts on this main event buddy <laughs> it's i'm speechless to be honest with how good it was it was, it was that good <laughs> it, it, it just proved that our cadre is as good as everybody says he is um Ibushi, I really loved the point where he started getting booed by people because he just blanks out. He, do, he does a bit where he blanks out and then he becomes vicious and um, has no care and will just do careless kicks and turns quite nasty. And I really like that side of Ibushi. I think it's 
it, the match added layers into his character for what could transpire throughout 2020. And yeah, the I don't know how they didn't break the necks a lot of the time. There was a lot of like head impact in the mats there. Um, obviously, you mentioned the backflip kick where he kind of landed horribly on his head and Okada caught him. But, yeah, really good. Um, really enjoyed it. And now we're going to get Okada and Naito. Yeah, so what a main event that's going to be. Um, but uh, a, a, a great night one of Wrestle Kingdom 14. Um, like I say, the, the eight-man tags, they were there to serve a purpose. Um, like they were shorter. The match quality wasn't that great, uh, but they were there to serve a purpose, so obviously building to uh, championship matches on night two. But uh, overall, I thought that uh, Wrestle Kingdom night one was, was a, a massive success. The fans uh, loved every minute of it. But um, not only that, I think it also proved that uh, you, you can have Wrestle Kingdom uh, spread over two days because night one not only does it serve a purpose in delivering some fantastic tremendous matches as we saw um from the, the kind of the center point of the card all the way through to the main event um but it also helps to continue storylines and to build towards matches that are going to take place the next night so um i think doing that over two days on the whole was a, a massive su- success now we can't talk about uh, night two until the podcast i'm going to be recording later on today kurt but uh, would you agree with my sentiments there yeah it was Show one was fantastic, but he still left you wanting more. Exactly. And you knew he was getting more, and now I feel fulfilled. Yeah, I'll still be watching New Year Dash, and yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, the show was absolutely fantastic. Um, night two was just as incredible, and I'll be looking forward to like hearing your thoughts on that one. Yeah. And. Yeah, I'm just glad to see that it's Okada and Naito in the main event. Obviously, they've had a storied past in the past. I think it was back in Wrestle Kingdom 8, I think it was, um, where it was, the I think, the first time that the IWGP title wasn't in the main event. And I think a lot of that got put on Naito, not being big enough, or um, and he was facing Okada and lost. But then... They'd gone back together. At, um, you saw it at 2012. They then headlined Wrestle Kingdom. And again, this again, Okada coming out on top of a Naita. So it's, it's interesting to see how the main event will play out. Um, and it's just, I'm glad Naita is back in the main event picture. Mm. And, and some other fantastic matches that we have to look forward to on night two you've obviously got the second and final retirement match uh, from Juicy and Thunder Liger uh, you've obviously got the, the championship match uh, pitting Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata for the uh, Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship. You've got Kenta going up against Goto for the Neverweight Openweight Championship. Juice Robinson taking on John Moxley. Um, of course, the fantastic main event that we alluded to. Chris Jericho, um, the current AEW World Champion. Um, he'll be taking on uh, Tanahashi. And uh, that, that's uh, an incredible match. No championships on the line in that one. However, he has said that uh, uh, if Tanahashi can beat him, that could possibly lead to a future AEW World Championship uh, shot for him um, somewhere down the line. So we'll have to see whether that becomes a reality. Um, But yeah, so many fantastic matches to look forward to. And of course, 
the, the, the two losers of the double gold dash matches will face each other in Jay White and Kota Ibushi as well. So another fantastic match to look forward to on night two. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a stacked night two. Um, any other matches you're particularly looking forward to from night two of Wrestle Kingdom, Kurt? I think the main ones, Sabre Jr. and Sonata is always good. I saw them um, challenge for the British Heavyweight Championship back in maybe September, October time. It was at Ungovernable in Manchester for Rev Pro, and that was fantastic. So, yeah, this match I'm really looking forward to. Obviously, you've got Moxley and Juice um, finishing their career, and I think every every match I was looking forward to, but it's that main event, Naito, Okada, who's going to be making history. Definitely. It's all about who's going to be carrying all the gold at the end of it. But uh, Kurt, I want to thank you so much for helping us cover Wrestle Kingdom Day 1 on the Wrestling with Jonathan podcast. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, well, I hope you enjoy Wrestle Kingdom uh, Day 2. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on board, buddy. Yeah, thank you for having me. I uh, really enjoyed I always enjoy coming on talking wrestling. And like I said at the start of it, it was part of the reason why I did Kurt's Angle. So yeah, thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and I would love to get you back on the podcast sometime in the near future. Um, but that's pretty much uh, it from me, and pretty much it for our, our review of Wrestle Kingdom 14 Day 1. We'll be covering Day 2, which will be dropping Sunday the 5th of January, so later on this afternoon as we speak. And I'll be uh, joined by um, somebody that's been on the podcast before, Grizz, who's uh, one of our uh, Facebook followers. And he's a big New Japan fan and he'll be helping us to cover um, all of the action from day two of Wrestle Kingdom 14. As I mentioned at the top of the show, don't forget to check out our new website, wrestlingwithjohners.com, where you've got all of our social media links, all of our archives to our podcasts and video casts, uh, vlogs, uh, interviews, news articles and so much more. Um, and uh, please keep it tuned to the Wrestling With Jonas podcast for all of your weekly NXT and AEW updates, including uh, regular WWE and AEW pay-per-view reviews and so much more. And if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends and tell your family. And don't forget to subscribe to the Wrestling With Jonas podcast so you don't miss out on a single episode. Uh, but that's pretty much it from this episode. Uh, thank you to Kurt one final time for helping us review Wrestle Kingdom 14 Day 1. And we'll catch up with you all again very, very soon. Bye for now.